If you have uh, Bibles with you, open them up to the first chapter of Philippians, the first chapter of Philippians. Our primary text this morning is going to be <clears throat> verses 12 through 30. Uh, remember, if you have the Version app, you can find the sermon outline there in the events section to be able to follow along with us there. Last week, we began our series through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And there are many who look at this letter, and they call this a letter of joy in which, uh, as I mentioned last week, joy is a byproduct of what the letter is really all about. Uh, see, the letter is really about the body of Christ being together for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the body of Christ carries out that primary purpose, as the follower of Christ carries out that primary purpose, joy is the byproduct of that event. See, when we're together, there is joy. True joy in the Christian life comes from fulfilling the purpose that we've been left here for, that the church has been left here for. Uh, See, to be in the body of Christ, we have to remember, is to be on mission. To be in the body of Christ is to be partnered together with other saints for that mission. To be in the body of Christ is to realize our need to care for the souls of the people that we're on mission with. That's the purpose of this great letter. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you for your word, for this opportunity to worship. May your spirit fill in the gaps that study has left open. And God, may you draw our hearts to you. We pray these things in your son's name. I got a really rather simple question for us to try to answer this morning. What is the purpose of life? (laughs) What's the purpose of life? Uh, So we just got a few minutes to try to answer that question. Maybe, perhaps, the actor Marlon Brando, his statement is said to be true for others. At the end of his life, it is said that he said this, life is a mystery, an unsolvable one. You just simply live it through, and as you draw your last breath, you say, what was that all about? Is he right? Is that all there is? Are we merely existing here on this earth waiting to die and after death nothing? And as followers of Christ, are we merely existing on this earth, right, uh, waiting for Jesus to take us away from this hell forsaken hole? Because when you look at us, the way we live, it's one of those two camps a lot of times. It's not as though like when we answer this question that we oftentimes kind of say what we really think or feel. Actually, we say what we think, right? We'll answer the question and we'll say, yes, there is a purpose to life. But, but it's not what we say that really determines that purpose. It's how we live, how we act, what we do. That's what determines what we really think the purpose of life is. And so let me ask you, how are you living? Who are you living for? In the end, there will be, is there a purpose for which you've lived your life? Or is it just like Marlon Brando? You just take your last breath and you ask, what was that all about? And if you look at Western society, we've stopped asking questions like this, right? It's a, just we don't need to. We exist for the next moment. And, and, but what about when the moment ends? We exist to pay the bills, but what about when you can no longer pay the bills? We exist to raise the family, but what about the day in which the house is empty? We exist to enjoy life. What about the moment in which life is gone? You see, we don't answer those questions. We leave them unanswered, and we just simply, simply keep existing. In his book, The Great Quest, Oz Guinness, he wrote these words. Many people have little interest in such issues as the meaning of life. They are interested only when, uh, when the questions are popular with others, too. 
They have hardly given a thought to what life is all about, and they have zero curiosity as to why they exist at all. Press them with questions, and, and all that matters is that they are alive and well and enjoying life from day to day. And under the bountiful conditions of this modern world, this is surely not so bad. The best course, we are told, is to do the next thing that we need to do and make the most of life while we can. That's good advice for a worldly mindset. And I want to ask, as followers of Christ, is that it? Is that it for us? Is that the purpose for us? When you look at the body of Christ, many followers of Christ are living this way. We're chasing the same dreams that those who are not in Christ are chasing, right? Look at the things that we entertain ourselves with. Think about that for a moment. What are we entertained with? Are these God-honoring things? And what happens when TVs no longer exist and we can no longer turn them on? We look at significance through athletics as well. We teach our kids to make an idol of sport. How do I know this? When there's a conflict between worship and sport, what wins out in today's society? Sport wins out. And what are we doing when we're teaching our kids that, right? Are we preparing them for that moment that they'll stand before God? Because remember, every single one of us are. Every single person is going to stand before God someday. What we're communicating is true significance is found in hitting a ball, throwing a ball, kicking a ball, crossing a ball across an imaginary line, wrestling another human being to the ground to show your physical dominance. We've made an idol of sport. Getting our kids in the right schools so that that school can deconstruct their faith that we've raised them in. Retirement accounts, right? And what happens when that's gone? Man, I've hesitated with this one so much. We've made an idol of our health. Right? We have. Health has become so important, in fact, that the industry is millions of dollars, billions of dollars. Health has become so important, in fact, that, that in order to protect ourselves, we stop fulfilling the responsibilities that we've been left here as a body of Christ to fulfill. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. There are some people that need to protect themselves. But for others, health has become that idol above all things to worship and protect. Has it not become more and more evident in the body of Christ that love for the world and all that is in it, even the good things, has kind of taken the primary place? The warnings from God's word are clear. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away. And also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. Listen, we won't come out and say that we practically, we live this way, but we practically do. We practically do. Something else that points to this reality is that people no longer want to hear what God's word says. Right? We want to hear what God's, they want to hear that God's word is for them, that God is about them, that they're the center of existence. And so, but what happens when your existence is gone? Is that really what life is about? What's the purpose of life? Well, what happens when life strikes us and our journey on that next moment? We can no longer live for the job, for the relationship, for the retirement account, for the entertainment. What happens when persecution comes? Health challenges arise. Pandemics come. Wars break out. Family members are no longer with us. These are questions that we try to want to away from until they're right in our face, until we have to deal with them. Right? And so how do we live? How do we respond? And as painful as those memories are, they have a way of clarifying something in every single one of us. Because when those moments hit, they tell us what we think life is about. 
They tell us what's most important to us. Not just as individuals, but as Christians, as a body of Christ as well. Even Tom Brady in an interview, in the moment of his great success, a few years ago in 60 Minutes, I can still remember the interviewer asking, asking Tom Brady, is this what it's all about? And he says, with this look, this distant look in his eyes, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. So we're forced to answer the questions, questions that Os Guinness asks in his book. Why is there something rather than nothing? What brought existence into existence? Why is each of us here? What are you here for? If you didn't come from yourselves, why do you think you can, uh, com, uh, can complete yourselves? Right? How are we supposed to relate to the world around us and to other people and decide what is true and false, right and wrong, fair or unfair? How do we make the most of what is really a very fleeting time on earth? Is this little life all that there is, or is there anything after? What's the purpose of life? What are we here for? And when struggles come in, they force us to focus. The Apostle Paul, in the passage of Scripture that we're going to dig through this morning, has a way of helping us to find purpose and meaning in life through difficult circumstances. Remember Paul, the persecutor of the church, on the road to Damascus to, to strike the church down. He meets Jesus. And from that point, he's, he goes out and he begins to preach Christ after he meets Jesus and being baptized into him. And if you're to listen to some of our modern-day preachers, some of our modern churches that seem to be really blessed, Right? Paul should have been healthy, wealthy, and fully blessed by God after, after answering that call that God put on his life. But what happened to Paul was anything but those. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, this is what God told Ananias about Paul. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear, name to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer on behalf of my name. So what's the purpose of life? How do we find that? So, According to the Holy Spirit-inspired words of the Apostle Paul, we can see the purpose of life through great struggle. Let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 1. And actually, I'm going to start with the, the last three verses in chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. God's word declares, uh, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And this too from God. Verse 29. For it has been granted for Christ's sake... Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer on his behalf, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. There are a few occasions in God's word where we get this idea that we're told to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And whenever we come across that, it should cause us to pause and to take note of everything that's going to come after. How? Uh, knowing when we ask, there's always an answer. And the Bible here says, standing firm in one spirit, united in the body of Christ, striving together for the sake of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Friends, think about how often and how easy we as a body of Christ choose to divide. 
As a matter of fact, in, in another place, in Ephesians, when Paul says to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, he says, I urge you as a prisoner to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent, that word diligent, fighting for, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Bible would say these words in Titus, reject a divisive person and after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning, being self-condemned. Unity in the body of Christ is key. And it's not just when times are good. It's most needed when things are falling apart. It's most needed when everything seems as though it's going to fail. Look again at verses 29 and 30. He said, for it has been granted uh, on Christ for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer on behalf, his behalf, experiencing the same conflict you saw in me. Paul says elsewhere, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And what we've got to understand and what we've got to grasp is if we're going to follow Christ, then this life is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be struggles. There's going to be persecution. We're going to be rejected by others. We're going to become a target of Satan. And what we learn about Paul or from Paul and, and the rest of what we're going to look at helps us to find purpose through struggle. We can learn from Paul's chains. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have more courage, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. He says, I want you to know. I want you to know. It's almost as if Paul is like, you know, I get made fun of often when I preach. People will come up to me and they'll try to make a point to me and they'll say these words, listen, listen, listen. Because I say that a lot when I preach. This is almost what Paul's doing right here. Guys, listen. Listen to what I'm saying. I want you to know that what I'm saying is extremely important. If you're worried about me, don't. Don't worry about me. Paul's circumstances that he speak of, speaks of here, they're detailed in Acts 21 and following. And so quickly, we, we, Paul was, was arrested or he was tried for a false accusation against him that he took a Gentile into the temple area. They used this to bring him into uh, custody. They were going to try to kill him. The Roman guards got a hold of him. He made his defense before the Jews, before Festus, before Agrippa, before Felix, and he appealed to Rome. And on the way to Rome, he was shipwrecked. And, and even there, there was going to be an attempt on Paul's life. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners, but the captain saved Paul. Paul would make his way to Rome Thus, the gospel would make its way to the ends of the earth. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts 1, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have a picture of this here. As a matter of fact, the end of book, the book of Acts says these words. Acts 28, 28 through 31. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will also listen. You may notice your versions might not have verse 29. If you want to talk about that, come and talk to me. We can't take the time right now to do that. I'd love to explain that to you. Verse 30. Now Paul stayed two full years on his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness 
unhindered. Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. God sent Paul to Rome as a prisoner. And Paul says this, I want you to know that God's purpose has been fulfilled in me. It's been fulfilled. Nearing the end of his life, Paul would write these words to a young Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with, with an eternal glory. The statement is trustworthy. Look at what he says. For if we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul says, listen, the world and everybody around the world may think I'm defeated. God's gospel is still marching forward. As a matter of fact, that's the word. The word in in the scripture here says, for the greater progress of the gospel. Your versions might say the advancement of the gospel. You know what this really is? It's a military term of God sending out a reconnaissance ahead of an attacking force, tearing down every obstacle. Paul is saying the gospel's moving forward. Don't worry for me. Reminds me of the words Jesus spoke. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You see, Paul's chains connected him to the lost. They connected him to the lost. He speaks of the Praetorian Guard, and what is that? What, what happened there is that every four to six hours, depending upon which commentary writer you read, it was either four hours or six hours, every four to six hours, a different soldier would be chained to Paul. So the soldier would have a chain on his wrist and Paul would have a chain on his wrist. I'm sure there was some space in between that. This was so that Paul couldn't run away. And imagine being that soldier, the Praetorian Guard. This was the elite force of the Romans, right? These guys were the best of the best and they were with Paul. And Paul being in this house with the gospel unhindered from him, having these soldiers attached to him as he shared as he spoke some of these books that we're now reading and somebody else would write them down, they were there to hear these words, no doubt, many of them most likely coming to Christ themselves. Not just that, the Roman officials having to investigate the claims of Christianity, they would have to render a verdict on Paul without, without knowing anything about what they were going to decide. They had to study Christianity. So let me ask you, where has God placed you? Where has he placed you? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel like it's a no-end place or no-win place? I know there are times that young stay-at-home parents feel trapped. What seems to be endless days of taking care of children, changing diapers, and cleaning a home. God has given you this time to prepare the hearts and minds of one or more of his children. I think of Susanna Wesley, the mother of 19 children, before the days of labor-saving devices and disposable diapers, out of that large family, 19, came John and Charles Wesley. Their ministries changed not only Britain, but much of America. I wonder if there were days she felt trapped and changed. Perhaps you feel chained by a physical ailment. If only you could be well. If only COVID would have never happened. If only uh, God would make things right. And and I think of Fanny Crosby who was blinded, but even as a youngster, she determined not to be confined by the chains of her darkness. And in time, she she would become a force for God through her hymns and her gospel songs. Perhaps you feel trapped by a job. 
You thought life would be different up to this point. You thought you would be further along or God would have moved you to a certain place at this point. But, but I'm thinking right now of Joseph in the closing chapters of the book of Genesis when his brothers sold him into slavery. And, and from that point of slavery, he found himself in Potiphar's home and Potiphar's wife lied about him. And then he found himself in prison. And then the, the, the baker and the, the, the cup bearer and the baker forgot about him. And all along this place, he kept trusting in God. And then one day, God elevated him to a position. And when he elevated him to that position, he was able to save his entire family. Thus, really the gospel of Christ as a whole. You feel trapped? God has you right where he wants you. He has you right where he wants you. There's a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28. He says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, and if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. And even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his descendants. You see, God places us right where he wants us. And he does so to put us alongside of people who are lost. Or lost. So Paul's chains connected him to the lost. Paul's chains also encouraged others to share Christ. And he says, listen, my chains have encouraged the brothers and sisters to share Christ. And, and what this means is not the word for preaching. It carries along with it the idea that as they were living their life, moment by moment, conversation by conversation, they brought Christ into that conversation. Why? Well, they were encouraged by Paul's boldness. What would happen if the name of Christ was on the tip of our tongues in every conversation we would have, church? What would happen if we would be in continued prayer for the boldness of the name of Christ to come out of our mouths? What would happen in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, if we would be encouraged and emboldened to preach Christ like they were? So we can learn. We can learn from his chains that purpose is not lost when life seems like it's falling apart. We can also learn from Paul's critics. Let's look at verses 15 through 20. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from in, uh, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. But not only that, I, I will also rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through the prayer, your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager expectation and hope. And I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will, even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Not only did Paul's chains embolden members of the body of Christ to preach, it also emboldened people who had nefarious ideas about where they were going to be. These guys would begin to come up and speak Christ because they wanted to fill the void of Paul. What was that void? They wanted his authority. They wanted his position. Really, it boils down to some of the same things we see today. They wanted an opportunity to make money. So preachers and churches, we often get jealous of the success of others. Have you ever witnessed this? Have you ever witnessed that take place? The church down the road that God is blessing, what do we often do? They must be watering down the gospel. 
They must be false teachers down there. Right. This week, I did a little bit of an exercise. I, there was a, there's a large church in Columbus that seems to be attracting a lot of young folks. And, and so I, I thought, I'm going to prove this point to be true. So I got on their website. I watched their worship service. And then I waited for them to preach. And their worship service is what you might think of it, right? It was lights and smoke and a bunch of people, a lot of energy, you know, everybody clapping, the, you know, the preacher getting up right before the other guy preached. So it was a different speaker for this message. And, and everybody just, you know, really enthused and think, oh, man, I'm sure it's going to happen now. This guy's going to stand up and he's going to preach some feel-good message. And you know what this young man stood up and preached? The Lord's returning. Are you ready? And just because God is blessing the ministry of someone else doesn't mean we need to judge it. See, and we have to learn from Paul here, right? When he said that these people were going to go out and preach and teach for nefarious reasons, what did Paul do? You know what Paul did is he prayed like David did in his Psalms. You ever read some of David's Psalms? I started them all over again this week. Uh, it's almost the same message, right? Lord, bless me, and I want you to cut the heads off of my enemies. Uh, that's kind of what his message was in his prayer. Over and over, that Lord, bring their gray heads down in agony. Paul would pray, Lord, silence their mouths. Give pain to them so they won't be able to preach Christ. No, that's not how he responds. His response should challenge us. He refused to defend himself. He refused to become angry. He rejoiced. In Christ, look in verse 18 again. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. But not only that, I will also rejoice. He's just saying it over and over again, this rejoicing. This should be our response. It should be our response to the ministries of other people when Christ is preached and proclaimed. What's our response to those we believe that's preaching the wrong gospel message with the wrong motives, right? What we do is we condemn them. We get on our social media accounts and we start becoming those warriors behind the keyboard, pointing out all their wrongs and what they've done and how we're right. We tear them apart publicly, not realizing that the lost see those that we condemn as being in the same team that we are, and we know better, they don't know better, and they're lost and thinking, if these Christian folks can't get along, why do I want to even be a part of that? I was trying to think of an example, and the most poignant example that I can think of is this. I can't tell you how many times as a preacher that I get messages, and I've gotten them often from folks, that I get messages that says something like this, should we sing Hillsong and Bethel songs in our church? So this is the message I get. So should we sing those songs in our church? And, and here's the reason why they ask this question, because the doctrines of some of these places are maybe a little questionable. Well, not maybe. Sometimes they are questionable, and, and sometimes they're just wrong. And, and so the question is, well, if they're wrong doctrines, should we be singing songs that after we sing the song, their name is put up as being writers, knowing that they're getting money from them? Should we sing those things? And I thought, well, you know, I don't know, man. Should we sing some of the hymns we sing? Have you ever really listened to some of the hymns we sing? Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. You know what that is? That's a mourner's bench at a Calvinistic church where somebody's trying to pray themselves through so that they can become some of the elect of God and not left behind. That is wrong doctrine and theology. But man, we sing that. We feel good about it in our churches at times, but we condemn what others are singing and doing. And, and, and here's the thing. What did Paul say here? What did he say here? Whether in pretense or truth, all that matters is that Christ is preached. All that matters is that Christ is preached. 
So, so we need to grab a hold of some of these things and understand that we not to condemn the church down the road or the Christian down the road. Uh, we're not to hurl accusations at them. We're not to say they're watering down, just teaching what each and years want to hear. Get to know them and understand what's being said. And here's something else we need to grasp. When people do go to these churches that are teaching wrong gospels, God reaches people at those churches. They hear the gospel at these churches. They get into their word and they come out of them on their own. Searching for a place that's going to teach God's word the way it's supposed to be taught. So Paul's critics didn't stop the gospel of Christ. What I'm saying is this. We need to make sure that our church, our response to the church down the road is not based upon envy and strife, but it's biblical. Praising God that the gospel is being preached. And when we do, we'll follow the example of John Wesley. I love this example I found this week. Uh, it's a matter of historic record that the two great evangelists, John Wesley and George Whitfield, disagreed on doctrinal matters. Both of them were very successful, preaching to thousands of people and seeing multitudes come to Christ. It's reported that somebody asked Wesley if he expected to see Whitfield in heaven, to which he replied, I do not. And the, the asker of the question thought he had him. So you don't think Mr. Whitfield is a converted man? Listen to what he says. Of course he's converted. Wesley said, but I, I do not expect to see him in heaven because he will be so close to the throne of God and I so far away that I will not be able to see him. Though he differed with his brother in some matters, Wesley did not have envy in his heart, but he only sought the best for him in the end. Man, we would do well to do the same in the church. Paul said these things, right? He said, listen, I, here's my big prayer. I want, I want this to happen for I know that my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ will take place. What's he talking about there? Does he expect to be delivered from prison? Maybe. It may mean a salvation in heaven, that they would be witnesses in his judgment. It could mean that, that Paul was placing himself in the best position for both now and for eternity. God's going to use this situation for his glory. And Paul said it clearly, right? I wonder how our lives would change if we were to say, Lord whether in life or death, may you be magnified through me. Magnified through me. That's what Paul's primary concern was. Right? Because of his chains, Christ was known. Because of his chains, Christ was preached. And because of his chains, Christ would be magnified. Last lesson we can learn from Paul's crisis. Look at verses 21 through 26. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your pride in Christ Jesus may be abundant because of me by my coming to you again. See, Paul's crisis was this. His struggle was clear. Listen, if I'm to go on living, that means Christ, right? That means Christ. To live is Christ. This is much more than physical life. It's, a, it's having breath in his, the lungs, but purpose for his living. It's a reason for existence. Paul was told that he was going to suffer for Christ, 
And Paul knew, like, if this is going to take place, there are going to be more chains. There's going to be more disappointment. There's going to be more hurt. There's going to be more suffering. He'll write these words. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that I may somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul understood To live is to die to self. He would write these words to the church in Galatia. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. To be, this is what it means to live a blessed life. And he says to die is gain. Paul would be in the presence of Christ. This is far better than remaining in the flesh. All suffering gone. All hurt, gone. All temptation for sin, gone. Paul says, it's far better that I be there. How could Paul have this kind of faith? I mean, I'm not going to read the verses. You'll see them in the U version app. But there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, he simply says, listen, we live in a tent. This, this tent is passing away. He knows this to be the case and to be the truth. And Paul was convinced that the Lord was not done with his ministry, right? He was not done. He was going to continue to use him. And it would be a joy to continue to serve and change for the sake of the growth of the body of Christ and the church in Philippi. Friends, I wonder, what's the purpose of life? In a moment of transparency and truth, how would you fill in these blanks? For to me, to live is... And to die is, how would you fill them in? Would it be for to me to live as money and to die is to leave it all behind? Would it be for me to live as fame and to die is to be forgotten? Would it be for me to live as power and to die is to lose it all? We must echo the words of Paul. To me to live as Christ. And understanding what that means. Understanding everything that entails for us as individuals and then as a body of Christ. He's left us here together for the sake of the gospel. And when we die together for the sake of the gospel and we live together for the sake of the gospel, this body of believers will be changed. This community will be changed. It's in this place that we find our meaning in Christ. Oz Guinness ended his book with these words. St. Augustine summed up the great quest in his peerless memoir, Confessions. Everything has its place and its dynamic. Fire always burns upwards. Stones always fall downwards. And the constant desire of the wrestling human heart is, uh, is the place where it can come to rest. Thus, Augustine's famous prayer, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. It's when we find rest in Christ that we can say, that we can say we are in cha- when we are in chains in life, when we're responding to critics, when we're walking through every crisis, for me to live is Christ. It's Christ. And if I'm to go on living, that means the next conversation is for him. If I'm to go on living, that means tomorrow at work is for him. From to go on living, that means tonight around my dinner table is for him. 
But that gain is coming. But right now, he's left us here for a purpose. Let's fulfill it. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord, that seeps, that digs in and just fills every aspect of who we are and challenges us, God, from the core of who we are to search for you. Knowing the promises of your great word, Lord, that the one who seeks finds, the one who asks, the door, uh, the door will be open. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Lord, help us to be that seeking, that asking person over and over, continuing to seek out what you desire for our lives, knowing, Lord, knowing that what you desire is to be magnified in us. Magnified through the pain that comes. Magnified when the world seems to be falling apart. Magnified, Lord, when we're questioned and doubted about our faith in you. Lord, help every moment, every moment, to be lived for Christ. Lord, may your spirit convict us in those areas that we need to turn over to you. May we have the courage and the boldness, God, to be real about who we are, understanding just how much you've loved us and what you're calling us to. Lord, do your work in our souls. We pray these things in your Son's most holy name. Amen. Perhaps you've come into the room this morning and you've not yet made a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Jesus is not just a Savior. He's Lord. And when you understand your sin has separated you from him, you confess him to be the Lord of your life, repent of a life that's led you away from him, respond in obedience to Christian baptism, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and walk out of here chasing that purpose. You know what that purpose is? That Christ be magnified in your life through the holiness that you're chasing after. If you need to make that decision today, why don't you join me down here in front as we stand and sing.